Welcome to Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything cinematic. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Vex Perfect. So, Miss Perfect, uh, we, we've got to talk about the, 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 the elephant in the room this week. I say elephant in the room, five foot one man. <laughs> No. I was going to say the really short elephant in the room. The, the really short, constantly running, affiliated rather prominently with a decidedly shady organisation, man, Mr. Tom Cruise. So he's had a bit of a fun week, hasn't he? Well, do you know what? Like, I, I've had a few phone calls from some news outlets this week asking me to go and talk about it. And I was like... I didn't take them up on it because I was a bit like, the news is what it is. Like, I can't give any additional insight to this. Um, but my opinion on it is actually mixed on this because I'm like, in a world where loads of celebrities are breaking COVID rules and we're seeing that and they're being named and shamed, it's actually quite refreshing to see an A-list celebrity saying something quite bad to anyone that is actually breaking the rules. Well, that's it, isn't it? So, of course, if you've not pulled this story already, this is, of course, Tom Cruise being recorded on the set of Mission Impossible 7, uh, which is uh, taking place in Warner Brothers Studios in Leavesden, yes. isn't it, I think, um, has apparently caught mid-filming uh, two crew members stood over a monitor, just a metre between them. Uh, they weren't wearing masks, was apparently... Ah. Uh, uh, because it's been debated what part of this he had the big issue with, and it seems to just be any infraction. That's right. Thing. He has he has gone off his rocker at them. He has told them. He has gone on a spurious rant. Uh, it has been recorded. It has been leaked to the sun, and it's now out in the world. And of course, there has been praise for him. There has been things said you know, against him. Um, you can see the point, though, I assume. Yeah, and I, I kind of have praise for Tom Cruise with this, but I think it's his manner in which he did it is probably incorrect. Um, I think it is, I think he just went a little bit, he boiled over, let's just say with this. Um, but I'm with you, like, you know, they. his his point is, is that people are looking to the Mission Impossible franchise as a way of spearheading the fact that we can, yeah. in the film industry, get back to work. Now, the standard needs to be a gold standard in which to portray this and two people letting the side down possibly infecting each other with covid who knows it's a small chance but it could happen that will shut the whole thing down well we should say on the back of that that mission impossible 7 was shut down uh for covid uh, once because i think 12 crew members uh tested positive for covid in italy during their italian shoot and when the movie resumed tom cruise apparently spent i think it's upwards of six hundred thousand pounds to rent a cruise ship for, yes. the, for the entire crew and cast and crew to self-isolate on, which is kind of hilarious. Like that's a really great extreme. But also, Jurassic Park, I know, has uh, has resumed since COVID as well. And they uh, they were Universal's kind of uh, canary in the coal mine with the the filming during COVID idea. Uh, personally, I, I there's been a few comments made that I, I do think bear some consideration. I don't think it's entirely a publicity stunt or anything like that but having said that I do have to take I do have to find some cynicism in it because I want to take him genuinely I think what he's done is actually quite a positive thing mm, I'm with you but apparently some of the wording of his rant is very very specific to the, to the behavior of David Miscavige <gasps> the leader of the Church of Scientology I don't want to get too into it because I don't I want anyone the, like I did read the transcripts 
Yeah, yeah. I did. <laughs> it, read, it reads like David Miscavige, doesn't it? It's exactly yeah. David Miscavige. Where's Shelley, David? Where's Shelley? Anyway, so uh, <laughs> that's, that's not well. That's not well. <laughs> Hashtag present Shelley to us. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to get our phones tapped, Bex. Uh-oh. Anyway, um, there's that element to it as well, and you could argue that someone as, as well-practiced as cu- at cultivating his image as Tom Cruise is, it would seem very unlikely that there'd be an amount of pressure you could put him under that would elicit this kind of, of response. So there's that to consider as well. Having said that, I personally would love to take him at face value. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, from 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 Tom Cruise's rant to what you can actually do if you can go to the cinema today. <laughs> well, that's a terrible segue. I can only apologise, but how else do you go from Tom Cruise to Wonder Woman? <laughs> Well, exactly. I mean, other than pointing out that um, the pressure for for Wonder Woman was at the uh, Waterloo IMAX, right? Which is also the last cinema we saw Tom Cruise go into. Yes. Because during uh, the release of Tenet, he went to that cinema uh, with his mask on just to, just to watch the film. Now, that very so, much was a publicity stunt, which we all know. It was, yes. <laughs> one of Tom Cruise's many stunts on safety. Um, so, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is upon us. It is a theatrical exclusive in the United Kingdom. and It is re- on general release from Wednesday this week, the 16th, so a couple of days ago now. Uh, you may have seen it by the time you hear this. Bex, plot of Wonder Woman 1984, please take it away. Well, okay, we are setting Wonder Woman in the time of the 1980s, which is all about consumerism, excess, and that it you can have it all attitude. And that's exactly what plays the basis for this movie. When a mysterious wishing rock comes into... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I've seen the movie and even I have to laugh because I've thought exactly that, wishing rock. Yes, wishing rock. It's how I've described it when I've reviewed it. So that's the easiest way to do it. So a mysterious... magic wishing rock rock falls into the hands of a guy called Max Lord who decides to, after some research, that he can essentially um, gain ultimate power by granting everyone in the world a single wish but Wonder Woman is there to tell you you need to be careful what you wish for Barbara hi perfect I have someone I would like you to meet a pleasure oh Miss Minerva uh it's doctor actually mm. um have we met before you look familiar. do the thing do the thing life is good but it can be better Oh my gosh, from TV, oh my gosh, you're the, you're the oil guy. The oil guy, yes, I'll right? take it. <laughs> so that's Pedro Pascal there as uh, Maxwell Lord. Uh, Kristen Wiig as, is it Wiig? Barbara, Wiig. Oh. As, yeah, <laughs> as Barbara Minerva. And uh, elsewhere in the film, of course, you've got, you know, Gal back as, uh, as Wonder Woman. But it's the return of uh, Chris Pine as Steve Trevor that I think had most people intrigued walking into this film. So how did you find it? How did you find the return of Steve Trevor, first of all? It didn't overly make sense because I don't. I spoiler alert. I didn't re- recognise Diana Prince making an, a specific wish. Should we say? <laughs> like, no, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So I was a bit confused by it, but I liked the. I thought he was one of the most genuine performances of someone who has never experienced eighties culture, and his, <laughs> I really enjoyed his wide-eyed, bushy-tailed like this. What? Hang, hang on a minute. Let's let's consider for a second that you know Chris Pine is like our age, so you know Chris Pine has never experienced eighties culture. You and I barely remember eighties culture. If we walked onto an eighties film, we walked onto the set of Stranger Things, we wouldn't know what the hell anything was. I just like the bright colours. 
Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because the film stylistically and even tonally is quite rooted in that 80s setting. It has a lot of that 80s fun. At times it feels like what would happen if you gave this budget to the Canon guys when they were making Superman... Oh, it wasn't Canon that made Superman 3, I think they only made Superman 4, but uh, the guys that made Superman 3 and said, right, here's the limitations of your technology, but here's the budget of 2020. Yeah. And that's what you get. And I, and I love that. There's some stuff during the action sequences that is straight up 70s Linda Carter. Yes. Like, particularly the desert highway set piece, which yeah. you've seen hints of in the, in the marketing. And the way Wonder Woman runs. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, you know, you're watching that thinking, that looks a bit ropey. And the best part is, I know for a fact, you not only have the money to, you have the almost effortless ability to make that look better, which means you've done that on purpose, and it looks kind of Linda Carter-like, and I bloody love it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. And I, you know what, I love the nostalgia from it, but what it does is it brings you from what you'd expect to see from a big blockbuster DC movie that works right at the beginning, because the opening sequence which is the young uh, Wonder yeah. Woman, you know, that is like, that gets your heart going. That's the adrenaline pumping moment. And then you're plunged into this 80s nostalgia and you're like, this is like Stranger Things mixed with, I don't know, like, yeah. the, you know, like the big action movie, the blockbuster that you want. It kind of works. It peters out for me a little bit towards the end. I think, um, unfortunately, Max Lord goes a bit too Trump-esque towards it and a bit too bonkers for my liking but I really enjoyed this film as a whole. I, I absolutely I enjoyed this as well. There's, there's so much more we could uh, we could talk about. We'll have to just finish out the block with Wonder Woman because there's just so much to say. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I love um, the, the the changes they've made to Maxwell Lord from the comics. They've made him into a sort of Donald Trump of the 1980s yeah. kind of a figure, and there's a couple of moments in there that, that, that led me to genuinely suspect the reason Warner Brothers have lent so very hard on the theatrical distribution of Wonder Woman and, and this whole HBO Max thing things like that is because they were just determined that they had to have the film out whilst Donald Trump was still in office. I feel like that had to be a motivating factor. Um, at one point, there is a you know there is a gag about Pedro Pascal's ethnicity and how he hides it that just led me to think that is a very very specific mm. swipe at Donald Trump. Yeah. Why else would you do that? Why else would you have errant comments about the news telling lies because they're jealous of you and things like that? Yeah. And, that, and this is before you get to more insane stuff in this movie, which is that this is a movie, this is a Wonder Woman movie made since Me Too, whereas the first movie was made kind of... During. Was made during, wasn't it? So they couldn't really incorporate too much in it. Yeah. But by virtue of this being set closer to the present day and Me Too having happened, Wonder Woman now in movie form takes on a more pointed, more aggressive and uh, much more contemporarily relevant tone than the broader, more period-specific elements of the first movie. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. I mean, as a whole, this is a solid, solid movie. You know, DC has finally got out of that funk that it has been in for a number of years with its movies, and Wonder Woman was that big move to do it. Is, does it live up to the original movie? It's not as iconic, I would say. It's, no, it's, no, it's no, no way as iconic. You can't top No Man's Land, that's the thing. Yeah. No Man's Land in Wonder Woman just instantly became the image. Yeah. This has great moments like that. There's two standout sequences that are quite, you know, literally wondrous. Beyond that, they simply don't have that moment that No Man's yeah. Land had last time. Great movie, though but just not as iconic as you say. Well, there we go. That is Wonder Woman 1984 or WW84 for you there. We'll be back very shortly with some movies on TV. 
Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you on your couch with lots of selection for you to watch on your telly box. So we are kicking off with a film which just screams at you. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> it's not literally. That's literally the tagline. Isn't yeah. it? The tagline of the film is trust him. So this is, is it 1997's Liar yes. Liar? Yes, it is indeed. Uh, this was a return to family comedy after having gone off to do uh, The Cable Guy. So Jim Carrey had effectively kind of alienated his mainstream fan base with Cable Guy in 1996, which made him, I think, the first actor ever to get paid $20 million for a role. Wow. I think it was Cable Guy, uh, which, again, we all forget, was written and directed by Ben Stiller. So a year later, Jim Carrey comes out with Liar Liar, in which he's Fletcher Reed, you know, the sleazy, no time for his uh, responsibilities lawyer who's always greedy. He'll tell what, uh, whatever lie it takes to get him get his way. And his neglected son, feeling dejected, makes a birthday wish when his dad doesn't show up that he wishes for one day that his dad couldn't tell a lie which isn't really a great curse to then have placed upon divorced lawyer. Fletcher has just been telling me how much he thinks of you. Well, why don't you tell Mr. Allen? Well, what do you think of him? He's a pedantic, pontificating, pretentious a belligerent old fart, a worthless steaming pile of cow dung. Figuratively speaking. <laughs> That's the funniest damn thing I've ever heard! You're a real card, Reed. I love a good roast! <laughs> Do you know what I love? Um, there was uh, some behind-the-scenes footage of him doing some of these scenes, like in the courtroom, mm. I think in a lift and, and and things like that. And just seeing it, you know, like when when you yeah. break the fourth wall and you kind of see the cameras and, and you see it happening and you see Jim Carrey in his element, mm. like it is, it is masterful what he does and how he just throws himself into it. And I think this is a great example, you know, quite like another movie we're going to be talking about in just a few moments as well, um, that also stars Jim Carrey. Um, but it, this, this for me is just him in human form, should we say, being yeah. one of the most Jim Carrey kind of characters that he can be. Well, there, there is that, and this would become one of the defining tropes of Jim Carrey's comedic uh, formula, which is the trope of being the every man who has the external force put upon him. So think of you know the first mask movie, uh, Liar Liar, uh, True, uh, not Truman Show, uh, uh, Bruce Almighty, mm. for example. Yeah, Jim Carrey literally having a limitation or a physical, uh, an element of physical control put upon him from an outside force does seem to be uh, one of his uh, most successful ventures. Yeah. Do you know what? Actually, just going right back to really early in Jim Carrey's career, um, there was a movie with Nick Cage and Kathleen Turner about Peggy Sue. Peggy Sue got married. Peggy Sue got married, yeah. yeah. And uh, Jim Carrey was in that. And I always remember recognising him because he picks up a handbag or a fishbowl or something by putting his arm right behind and dislocating his arm right behind his, his head and just picking it up. And that's the first time you really see him 
start doing that style of comedy it will be as a as a supporting role but um yeah if you ever catch that movie first it's a great movie secondly um he, he's there's just a nice little starring moment from him as well in that <laughs> of course liar liar you can watch in the meanwhile this saturday evening on itv2 at 8 20 p.m so what have we got for sunday night miss perfect okay so we've got a movie called the death of stalin on bbc2 of course it's on bbc2 at 9 30 p.m um this is an armando um Iannucci movie which i know a lot of people are huge fans of and we've debated over the last year or so one of his latest movies um to do with david uh, copperfield uh, uh, yeah personal, was it the personal, personal history of david copperfield yeah uh, which didn't quite live up to kind of his mm. back catalogue of movies but i know a lot of people love the death of Stalin. So it basically is about the succession of of Stalin, essentially, once he dies in 1953 and the play for power within um, his cabinet. No matter what happens, I will never, ever let any harm come to you or your brother. Who said anything about harm? No, that's what I'm you saying. You know that somebody wants to harm they us. There's going to be Tell no, me. If someone... I demand to know. No, there's, I should not have used the word harm. Yes, but you keep mentioning the word harm. No. Why? <laughs> if anyone tries to you, they'll have to get through me first. <laughs> My father's going to die and I'm going to have you to look after me. I mean, I may as well just shoot myself like mother. We need to be strong and never afraid. Yeah, well, I wasn't afraid. Now I am afraid. No, no, don't be, because if any harm... I, God, I actually can't believe you said that again. Quick, the bus is back! I really love this movie. I think it's so funny. Uh, I, my favourite thing about it, is I, and I think the film is worth it just on its own, is um, uh, when uh, Jason Isaacs turns up with the broadest Yorkshire accent <laughs> you've ever heard. And that's, because that's the thing, like, so you hear Steve Buscemi in that clip, yeah. he's just doing his normal American accent. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor is doing the same. Everyone seems to do their natural accent. And then Jason Isaacs turns up and says, look at your bloody face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But but you know what with a movie like this i think you know it comes down to the brilliant writing behind this because like you know like when you're watching something by aaron sorkin you know what you're mm. going to get with that kind of writing yeah. and i think it's the same with armando ianucci as well because you know what to expect on this and actually unfortunately when something doesn't quite live up to what you expect from a director and a writer like this and it the fall from grace is quite far which is why we we struggled so much with the personal history of david copperfield it just didn't quite hit the notes that we're used to with um, with this kind of writing. But please to say, if you want to go and watch something that does give you the, all the feels of um, everything that you love from this particular director, The Death of Stalin is there for you. And it's on Sunday on BBC Two at 9.30pm. Now you've had you know, you know, kind of a, a big, un, relatively unseen, I think, masterwork of the last few years. Uh, on Monday night, let's give you one from the uh, early to mid-90s, a return for Mr. Carey, of course. And I think this is the second of what we refer to as the big three that started Jim Carrey's career. So those were, of course, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, uh, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumb. And then, of course, uh, I think then comes Batman Forever, but it's generally not thought of as a Jim Carrey movie and more just no. a Batman movie. So The Mask is on, five star, on Monday evening at 6.55pm, which is kind of the perfect time for it. 
really because yeah. it does have that great big you know evening movie kind of feel for younger audiences that way um this of course as well as the start of christmas week so start your christmas off with something zany even though it's not any way christmasy and this kind of becomes a problem actually with christmas week on telly because there's basically naff all on and we already covered the holiday last week so the jim carrey is the mask of five star <laughs> five to seven uh he's stanley ipkiss uh you know the, the definitive nice guy every man bank teller who uh just wants nothing more than to impress the super hot, I think, 22-year-old Cameron Diaz, uh, who then enters his bank one day, and this leads to him being humiliated just before he discovers the lost mask of Loki, the Norse god of mischief. Uh, he puts it on. It turns him into the literal embodiment of the Norse god of mischief, Loki, complete with all of the lunacy that that entails, which, of course, very quickly brings him into the crosshairs of both the local criminal element and the local law. Really big sunglasses. Bicorn. Smallmouth bass. Wow. Bowling pin. Ah, ah, ah. Mouse trap. Rubber chicken. Little to the left. That's it. I don't know. Any eyeball glasses? I've never seen those before in my life. Bazooka? I have a permit for that. Picture of Kellaway's wife. What? Uh-oh. Margaret! You son of a... Jeez, I figured you had a sense of humor. After all. You married her! Ah! That's gotta hurt. Get him! So this was so groundbreaking when it came out. It, really it was incredible. Does it hold up on the small screen years later? You're nodding your head. I think it does because uh, it references Tex Avery cartoons so much. Mm. You know, it references, particularly when you see him turn into the wolf and things like that, the cartoon style yes. that they use. Yeah. They are so rooted in very old fashioned uh, cartoons that we're used to seeing on a small screen. That the mask itself, because it's such a well-made production, it has that lived-in cartoon hybrid kind of aesthetic, that fits so perfectly on the small screen as well, just because its source material does in your mind. Yeah, and I think, you know what, is that that, that wolf whistle is so iconic of this movie mm. as well. There's so many iconic movies, uh, iconic moments in this movie. I mean, the dance sequence is incredible. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting because I kind of think you'd want to, if you guys had kids, if you're listening and you've got kids, and you're kind of going, I'd love to introduce them to this because this was my childhood yeah. watching this. Like, is it too zany for th this new generation? Like, that's the question I've got. Like, are they going to think it's it's like, it, it doesn't live up to the woke values that we have nowadays? I can remember a time when the height of CG technology was the opening of the Stargate, which you literally only see once in that movie. Yeah. Um, when, the, when the mask came out, it was this incredible thing because it was literally, it was the first time we'd really seen like a performer enhanced wonderfully with CGI. It was the first time I think that we'd, other than outside of like the T-1000 and morphing effects, yeah, this was the first time we'd seen CG utilized to try and bring an actual character out of another character. Whereas now we're kind of used to this, like mocap and things is so much more common yeah. now. But uh, it, it's one of those films, I think, by today's standards of CGI, as to CGI and scale, this probably would look to a teenager now kind of like a Netflix pilot. <sighs> How sad is but, that, isn't it? 
I find that really bad. That doesn't mean it's not incredible, that it's not funny as hell, that it's not kind of oddly yeah. sweet and sincere, but also weirdly dark at the same time. It's still a good movie. It's just for scale now. It's, it is it is something that you would watch on the small screen. Well, listen, it's still very much worth your time. So and what a way to kick off Christmas week. You're right. Kick it off in a zany, bonkers style. So that's on Five Star, 6.55pm on Monday. Now, when we come back, we're going to bring you more movies to lead into that all-important Christmas day. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Bex. Hey, Van. How are you doing? I have just had a delicious breakfast. But do you know what? I might have to be going back for seconds. I'm still hungry. <laughs> well, actually, we've got you covered this week, especially our American customers. So we want to give a shout out and thanks to our sponsors for this week, Green Chef. So Green Ooh. Chef are a, a USDA certified organic company that uh, make eating well, easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. And this includes my own partner who is plant-based because they cover uh, keto diets. That you, can, you can use them for paleo diets and plant-based diets as well. I'm very, very jealous. Obviously, uh, neither of us can get into the US for sadly yeah. at the moment. So we're unable to sample. However, my better half has been able to sample and I tell you, I'm in love. The, 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 the snap she was sending me of, of the things she was making. Because they, uh, the way this works is, first of all, so they let you choose from uh, this you know, litany of uh, easy-to-follow recipes. And like I say, you cover them on different diet plans. She's plant-based, I'm not. So, you know, you can get different kind of menus. And you can even leave out certain things. If you have allergies, information like that, they will leave certain recipes out of your box, for instance. And uh, recipes they give you, they're quick, they're easy to follow, they're step-by-step, they come with illustrations, the works, the food when you've prepared it actually looks like the picture, which you know Ooh. is a big thing for me. And all the ingredients, they're hand-picked, there's uh, organic veggies and high-quality proteins and things like that. And it all comes delivered to your door on like a signed day. They actually hit the day as well. That particularly impresses me. Especially, you know, in this time when postal service and deliveries aren't exactly running, you know, as razor sharp mm. as they might be. They're a bit overworked. Uh, I'd say these ingredients, they come uh, pre-measured, uh, perfectly portioned for each meal. And, uh, you know, mostly completely prepped. So, you know, it's as little fuss as possible to actually. Yeah. But also the main thing is, is that whether or not you love or you loathe cooking, it couldn't be easier, right? So it, that's it, yeah. Yeah. And it gives you that choice throughout the week so that, you know, you're getting a healthy, nutritious meal, whatever your preference of meals are. Uh, each and every week, which is fantastic. Big thanks to our sponsors, Green Chef. And uh, you can uh, try Green Chef yourself by going to uh, greenchef.com forward slash offscreen80 and using the code offscreen80 to get $80 off, including free shipping. So that's greenchef.com slash offscreen80 and the offer code offscreen80 for $80 off and free shipping. So eat well with free shipping. Welcome back to Off Screen and keeping you on the couch for the rest of your week of cinematic celluloid fun on Freeview. Uh, well, we're going to take it a little more superheroic than even The Mask. The Mask was based on a, a Dark Horse comic, I believe. It did become an animated series, by the way, but I, I dislike that. Because yeah. It broke the cardinal rule. He was allowed to put the mask on during the day, and that drove me nuts because it's meant to be only at night. Yeah. That's it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Someone who can put his mask on during the day, though, as well, is, of course spider-man whose uh, most recent franchise launcher is airing on bbc one on tuesday nights at 7 55 p.m in the form of spider-man homecoming you remember this one bex i do so it was the first tom holland reversioning of of the spider-man 
franchise, I suppose. Um, a welcome return. It's the one, as you quite rightly pointed out, as I just checked, is the one with Iron Man. Well, of course, I'm going to say it's the one with Iron Man. I know you're going to say it, exactly. Um, it's, also, it's also the one with hot Aunt May. Because Aunt May being... Is that Marissa Tomei? That's Marissa yeah. Tomei. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unsettling. If you've, if you've lived through as many decades of Aunt May being like... Granny. You know, being, Granny May. Or, <laughs> yeah. Because she is kind of, because she, she is effectively like his grandma. Yeah. That's kind of how she serves in the, in the, she's always played traditions as sort of a grandma. The idea of making her into Peter's hot aunt, this was, that was a revolutionary thing. Every teenage boy out there <laughs> thinks this is the revolution. Uh, but I, I actually, I have to say, I really liked this because I thought, you know, after Tobey Maguire, after Andrew Garfield, we needed to kind of take a new light-hearted trip into Spider-Man, and Tom Holland does it in such a cool way. What was that? Uh, nothing, nothing. You're the Spider-Man from YouTube. I'm not. You were on the ceiling. What was it, Ned? What are you doing in my room? You may let me in. You said we're gonna finish a Death Star. She doesn't know. Nobody knows. Well, I mean, Mr. Stark knows because he made my suit, but that's it. Well, Tony Stark made you that? Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. Dude, you can't tell anybody about this. You gotta keep it a secret. A secret? Why? Because you know what she's like. If she finds out people try and kill me every single night, she's not gonna let me do this anymore. Okay, 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 okay. I'll level with you. I don't think I can keep this a secret. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I can't believe this is happening. Can I just say big up to Jacob Batalon, um, who is yeah, like yeah. one of my fellow Filipinos there, just riding it high for um, for a Hollywood movie. I love it. And he's such a great sidekick character in this. Did you see his Insta video this past week when he's in the pool with all the rest of the cast of Spider-Man and he just like throws the basketball over? Oh, no. It's incredible. I will go and check that out. Do you know what? The, what's great about this is that you genuinely feel the camaraderie, the, the bromance between these two. There's nothing. It's not like a, like they genuinely get on and they have oodles of fun with this which is exactly what a comic book character should be all about yeah. young fun and a kid at the end of the day not like a 30 year old trying to play a 16 year old well there is that there is the fact that tom holland does look quite young he actually looks kind of age appropriate for spider maybe a couple of years older yes yeah. but you know it can't be out your age but uh, the thing i liked so much about uh, homecoming <clears throat> was that it it does have those those moments of grand melodrama, which these things need. You know, obviously they need that. But the problem is that the previous two iterations of Spider-Man had seemingly been all grand melodrama all the time. Mm. And there's a point in there's a point in in nearly every one of the previous Spider-Man movies in which I sat there and thought, do you know what? You wouldn't want to be Spider-Man after a couple of weeks. Yeah. You'd just be you'd just be so bummed out by everything crap happening to you all the time that you just wouldn't bother. Do you know, um, do you know this actually made the effort to let them have fun. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, like when I said in the Wonder Woman review about how wide-eyed and bushy-tailed like Chris Pine is when he discovers a whole new world, to him, it's kind of the same. That kind of, na uh, like, that, that, like, I can't believe this is happening to me discovery that Tom Holland's character goes through in this, I think is what works really well with this. There is a sense of genuine wonder. Yes. He, he, seems, to, he, can, he seems to be able to emote a sense of genuine wonder, which Tobey Maguire always played up almost, because his performance was always generally quite pantomime. Mm. With Peter anyway, but that was in that was an intentional thing. Like that 
quite clearly is how Sam Raimi intended that. And Andrew Garfield was just kind of forgettable. Yeah. Like, you, you don't really remember him as a character or a person. You just remember what he physically looked like. And other than that, he could have just been, I don't know, just some guy named Phil. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Anyway, guys, look, go and enjoy this, right? This is a great one for Christmas week. So Spider-Man Homecoming, BBC One, 7.55pm on Tuesday. That This is a great movie to just sit down with, you know, with your family, have some fun with it and re-find your love for Spider-Man. Uh, one love I don't think uh, you you, ref- you you found again. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> our choice for Wednesday evening on BBC Two at 10pm. Uh, this is Paul Thomas Anderson's... Um, well, this was the Daniel Day-Lewis finale, effectively. He's apparently retired after this. It is, of course, Phantom Thread, which was a big Oscar contender. Is it two years ago now? Yeah, I think, yeah, 2018 was when it came out. So around, yeah, two years ago. And this was the one that I thought was going to be the, was this the triple potential Oscar win for um, for Daniel Day-Lewis? He didn't get it, but this is what everyone was touting hmm. him for. Was to yeah, I think up. that was the case where every time he got nominated, he just won. Yeah. And uh, th- well, this is, of course, the, uh, the, the one he learned to be a tailor for because he plays a tailor. So, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis must learn to become the tailor. Uh, which of course he did, and he is the you know the, the master tailor to uh, you know all the rich and famous, uh, who enters into a relationship with his housekeeper, I believe, and, and of course how their relationship feeds into his distorted worldview and his fractured psyche. No, Alma, what's he doing? There's tea for you. Don't put the tray on the table, please. Just take it off. I didn't ask for tea. No, but. Can take it out, please? Yes, I can take it out. It's a bit late now, isn't it? I'm taking it out. Yeah, but it's a bit late now, isn't it? But I'm taking it out. The tea is going out. The interruption is staying right here with me. You know how Daniel Day-Lewis means to, like, go all method all the time? Like, that's yeah. Cool. You know, that just means he was a miserable all the entire time he was filming this Feel for his wife, yeah. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> but yes, uh, who is, is it Vicky Creeps? Yes, Vicky like, Creeps is, yeah. uh, plays Alma uh, in this and Leslie Manville's in this as well, you know, yeah. Now, you weren't a fan of this, um, and I, I actually am, but I think the reason I'm a fan of it more than anything, and I, other than the fact that I like how kind of dark and twisted uh, the, the, the sort of romance at the core of this gets, but what little you can say it has romance, um, is just that Daniel Delius performance, which I still think is incredible. Yeah, and to, but the, uh, it's just, <laughs> this is where I... <laughs> Um, I am such a fan of Daniel Day-Lewis. Look, I watched Lincoln three times in a row. I thought his performance... Don't even... I know, I loved it. I literally was so blown away by his performance in that. And I I cited that as I was like, he is going to pick up the Oscar for that. It's very simple. There's no competition there. And I could watch, you know, My Left Foot, all these kind of brilliant films Mm -hmm. that he's done. This, for me, it's not much about him that annoys me in this. It's just the pretentiousness of the film itself. And that, for me, is just a step too far into the avant-garde and the bonkers and the Cardigan clan, like you say, (laughs) every week. It's my turn to have a rant about the Cardigan clan on this because they're the ones that would have gone, oh, my goodness, this is such an amazing movie. It's so brilliant. You must go and see it. And then we all go and see it and get thoroughly disappointed. And I I just want people to be more honest about it. Like, some people will love it, some people won't. You and I, we're in two different camps over this one. Oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. This is absolutely... Absolutely for the Fraser crowd, but hey, 
Still. No, I love Fraser, but I mean, you know. No, 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 no. I, I mean the Fraser. I, I mean like. Oh, the, the Fraser the looking well. The Niles. The idea, the idea that you know Fraser represents anything close to your world view. Yeah, fine. You know, what I mean, like Fraser himself is this insane uh, amalgam of every kind of pretentious notion ever created by man. Uh, Family Guy did a wonderful parody where it's, you know, Frasier, you're so <laughs> obtuse that when you go around the Tuscan villa, you go around. The Tuscan villa. <laughs> you know, which I think is the perfect statement yeah. on, uh, on on Frasier and Family Guy, actually, when you think about it. Anyway, we've got limited time. Let's move on to uh, Thursday night. Factory Threads on uh, BBC Two, Wednesday night, 10pm. Thursday night. Now, I think this is quite a great adventure movie for a Christmas Eve. Yes. So Thursday night. It's got nothing to do with Christmas. Again, I agree, but don't blame us. Blame the people that schedule movies on television, and we already covered the holiday last week, okay? So don't, just don't at us, all right? Anyway, The Mask of Zorro is on watch at 10 past 6 on Thursday evening, Christmas Eve. Do you like The Mask of Zorro? Do you know what? Let's bring it right back down to earth right now. I love The Mask of Zorro. I, I Again, like I watched uh, Lincoln three or three times back to back, I could watch this again and again. Um, this is brilliant, um, you know, with, with um, Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones in her heyday looking absolutely stunning. This is that escapism, fun action adventure that you want and who doesn't like to see Antonio Banderas in a mask with a sword and then suddenly lightning flashed and the mighty thunder shocked the wasted land and the evil king glared at the good prince and said something very forgettable and the good prince what did he do well he leapt from the balcony onto his faithful old steed tornado and raced home to his beautiful wife, Esperanza, and to his little child, Elena, never to do anything so foolish or dangerous again. She loves to hear your stories. It's only the sound of my voice. One day she'll have no time for them. I never tire of them. Why should she? Oh, it's so romantic and lovely, isn't it? Do you remember when this movie came out? How genuinely impressive like a, a, a calling card that made for the then basically unknown Captain Zeta Jones. Yeah, I know, I know. She did. She was like, do you know what? It's a bit like how Gal Gadot looks in um, in Wonder Woman. There's like this real sort of radiance and statuesque kind of... It was such a presence. presence there was, yeah. it, she, she showed up and you just thought, wow, okay, because I've seen the Darling Buds of May. Where the hell was this chick the entire time? And yeah, that was it was a hell of a day. I mean, to be and to be fair, it only really led in terms of like major successes outside of like Chicago. Only really led to entrapment. Yeah, Otherwise, I know. Connery. Um, she still but, picked so, up yeah, an Oscar. So, <laughs> she did. She did. Still, yeah. but that, was, that was for Chicago. Wasn't that it? was for Chicago. But you can't just be like, yeah, and it only really led to entrapment. Oh, maybe we'll just cross over and talk well, about the Chicago. Well, she did win the Oscar. I, I acknowledged it. I acknowledged it. Look, to be fair, I I I, I seem to think of uh, Kevin Zeta Jones as someone whose career trajectory was viewed from her own point of view as being, well, you know what, I got the Oscar now, I don't have to keep trying this hard. Hey, um, look, she married Michael Douglas, she's set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do get that feeling with with her and her agents, like, look, you've got the Oscar now, okay, it's only downwards from here, we can yeah. only go down. So let's not do as much, like, do do things, sure, preferably things you care about Just keep like. playing golf. But just other than that, just keep it. Let's let's keep it low key. Let's yeah. keep it low key. Yeah. Time being. Yeah. Okay. So on to uh, Christmas Day then. 
I knew you'd pick a film like this because this this sum, this sums you up. This is Scrooge, the 1951 version. <laughs> um, you couldn't have picked a holly jolly Christmas movie, could you? You had to pick Scrooge. It's a, it's a timeless classic, Alistair Sim, and I, I've, I've been unable to de- to determine whether or not they're showing the actual original black and white version, or if this is the awful colorized one. Oh, the colorized one is terrible. Yeah, but the black and white one is incredible. So, Alistair Sim is Ebenezer Scrooge in Scrooge. Uh, What can I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, sir, that is my answer. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and some would rather die. If they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, it's not my business. Isn't it, sir? No. It is enough for a man to understand his own business without interfering with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. So yes, Alistair Sim there. And I'm a big fan of Alistair Sim and his insane eyes. Like, he looks like like the precursor to F. Murray Abraham. This is on Christmas Day at 3.05 in the afternoon on Talking Pictures TV, which, if you've never seen it, is a great channel that shows only uh, sort of license-free uh, oh, great. copyright expired on, that are, like public domain. Big favourite of Paul Ross's. Yeah, and also, just anyone that, that thinks that this is going to go on and on and on because it's made in the 50s, this movie is only an hour and 27 minutes long. So it's, it's quite actually... punchy and short as well. Yeah. And also the effects for the time are incredible. The the, yeah. uh, the effects for the ghosts for like 1951 movie-making standards are absolutely incredible. So that's Christmas Day. Have a good old-fashioned, traditional, dyed-in-the-wool Christmas classic. Courtesy of the best of all the screenwriters, Mr. Dickens. So that rounds up Freeview for uh, Christmas week. Coming up next, we've got a bumper streaming edition. Welcome back to Offscreen. Now, as promised, we've got a bumper pack of streaming goodies just for you, just in time for Christmas. So we're kicking off not with a bunch of men, but it's a bunch of women. Am I right? Well, yes. It turns out that Ocean's only had three goes in him. So for the fourth, we need new, more feminine blood. And whose blood is better than that? Miss Sandra Bullock, who coincidentally also starred in the movie with... George Clooney. You might remember it's one of my favourites. Gravity. I almost said gladiator them. Yeah, it's a gravity. (laughs) Gravity. Gravity. Gladiator. I almost said gladiator. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, But uh, yes, Ocean's 8, which is it's uh, Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett. Who else? Sarah Sarah Paulson. Paulson. Uh, Oh, oh, Rihanna. Rihanna's in there. Yeah. Uh, Orkafina. Yeah. Mindy Kaling. Yeah. Helena Bonham Carter. And I think the. is Is there an eighth? Before the third act, I don't know. I can't remember. I think it's seven. Well, it's Anne Hathaway, but she's not in the eight, is she? Well, no, I suppose not. Yeah, I think it just refers to Anne Hathaway. So it's basically the same sort of setup as as the original Ocean's. Well, so the original Ocean's, the Ocean's Eleven remake that George Clooney starred in. That one, not the original, but that one. So this is sort of that same kind of thing, but played with Danny's sister who is on the East Coast this time and sets out to steal a priceless necklace from the Met Gala. And it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, James Corden's in it, but it's still a lot of fun. Don't... No, I thought I'd get through one episode without having to mention his name. 
But yes, that guy is in it. But don't let that put you off because actually it's a really good heist caper film. I love this. Um, It was great dynamic, good chemistry between all of these actresses. Um, I'm amazed that there hasn't been another Oceans movie off the back of it because I think it did all right for what it was. I mean, it was about three years between Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve, and then another three for uh, Ocean's Thirteen. So, I mean, it's been three years now, and we have kind of had to take a year off from there being movies Fine. Either, you know, in cinemas or even being made. So, you give them time. I'd imagine they'll get to an Ocean's Nine in, say, another year or two. But it's not a coincidence that Ocean's Eight starts a trilogy that happens to leave exactly enough room for it to slot on a box set shelf in alphabetical and numerical order just before the trilogy that it actually serves as the sequel to. I didn't understand that, but yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> meaning, meaning it's intended that there will be an Oceans 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 and 13. I got that, I got that. Um, okay. But listen, that is well worth the time. It's out on Sunday on Netflix, which is going to be much, much needed, I think, after a weekend of not doing very much, if, particularly if you're living in London and can't really go anywhere. Um, so and you can enjoy that. Uh, moving swiftly on to Monday... This is one for all the family. Um, out on Amazon Prime, Despicable Me, The oh, Minions. This movie, do you remember when this came out? It was just dazzlingly brilliant. Like Despicable Me was a really great movie. Yeah. And to think, it was it was pretty much this versus Megamind at the mm. box office. The, the two were released kind of comparatively. I think I think did Megamind I think come first, and then Despicable Me was afterwards. Or but like, who even remembers Megamind? Like, do you know what I mean? That's the thing. You don't do. You? And that's the Brad Pitt one. Like Megamind was like Brad Pitt and Tina Fey and Will Ferrell. That had everything going for it. Despicable Me was just this weird-looking one with Steve Carell, and it turned out to be absolutely genius. And I swear, they can't have known. Well, the marketing department didn't know that the Minions were going to be as big as they were because they did not push the Minions anywhere near as much as they could have with this. No, but the Minions have had their day now. You know, they've, they've had their limelight. They've had their they movie. Their yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's a great film and one for all the family. So if you're looking for some fun over the Christmas week, that is there for you. Uh, Moving on again, sticking with Prime as well. We've got Pretty Woman. Oh, a classic. Who doesn't love this? Who doesn't fall in love with Richard Gere? Who doesn't from the male variety or also the female variety also fall in love with Julia Roberts as well? Thank you. Hi. Hello. Do you remember me? No, I'm sorry. I was in here yesterday. You wouldn't wait on me? Oh, you work on commission, right? Uh, yes. Big mistake. Big. Huge. I have to go shopping now. It's the Beverly Hills Hotel that he's based in, isn't it? I believe it is. Yeah. I'll always remember this. I was in L.A. and we bumped into some friends, weirdly, some British friends in L.A. And they were going to a quite a big socialite party. They were actually going to um, Holly Valance and Nick Candy's wedding. And I said, oh, my God, that's amazing. Where are you staying? And they very coyly went, the Beverly Hills Hotel. And I was like, what? Who does that other than Pretty Woman? (laughs) That's ridiculous. Um, But anyway, look, guys, it's a classic. It's now available for you to watch at your leisure on Amazon Prime. So go and enjoy that. Coming up on Tuesday, 22nd, um, a new movie that I think is, is not reviving a classic. This one is called After We Collided. What do you know about this one, Van? I got tased trying to stop Holly Balancer's wedding. Anyway, no, um, <laughs> After We Collided, which is the sequel to, and I don't know if you remember this film, After. 
a few years ago. Remember this? It starred Hero Tiffins Fines, who? who is who is the son of I think uh, Joseph Fines. Joseph Fines has a son. He's one of the Fineses. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which. They're a large sure. family. They're a large acting family. I, I know, like Rafe is his his uh, uncle. I think is he. It might be I, part I of the lesser known Fines. Family. He might he might be he might be a lesser known finds lesser known find <laughs> anyway so this is you remember how Fifty Shades of Grey is oh, based God. on you know how Fifty Shades of Grey is based on Twilight fanfic yes right this and I swear to God this is totally true this is absolutely one hundred percent true this is based on One Direction fanfiction this oh is my God. <laughs> Some chick, this I swear to God, this is some chick's erotic fan fiction about what she would do to Harry Styles. And they made it into three novels and now a film trilogy. This is a thing that happened in the human world and we allowed it to happen. Oh my God, ladies and gentlemen, scrap everything you're doing. <laughs> you have to watch this out of pure curiosity. I mean, this is, like, I I always laugh, like, when I watch something like Graham Norton and they bring on, like, Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy and stuff, and they show them the fan fiction that's been written about them as, like, X-Men and stuff. Like, uh, this is crazy. And the One Direction stuff, I know, is a level up from that. It's nuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for a few years from now when someone, like, makes a movie that's based on a novel, that's based on some tweets about the things they would do sexually to a member of BTS. Because that's really the next logical step after you've done, you know... Oh, my God. After, and, and after we collided. and Which, strangely enough, really doesn't make any use of its title, as in it doesn't attempt to uh, license the Incubus song. Why? Why would you do that? Anyway, um, so it's oh, it's also by the way. On top of that, even weirder. This is where you find out that the poster character from uh, Thirteen Reasons Why has a near identical looking younger sister who is also an actress. Okay. Yes, because I really thought they were the same person. That's, right. That's like yeah. That's how kind of generic otherwise this is. But other than that, please do enjoy ninety minutes of fraught, oversexualized, hyper melodramatic Harry Styles erotica. <laughs> Because that is what this is. Oh my god! I have to watch it. I've just. Can we report back? This is going to be insane. You know what, Bex? I've not seen the sequel, but I don't really remember the first one. So I say we do this. You and I. Let's watch it at the same time. At least we can text each other after and. Jeez. Okay. Notes. Wow. Okay. This is bonkers. Right, okay, before we get too deep and dark into that one, uh, moving on to Netflix on uh, Wednesday. So the night before Christmas kind of starts to kick in, we have Midnight Sky available for you on Netflix. What's this one all about? So this is uh, George Clooney's latest directorial effort in which he's also starring. So this is a post-apocalyptic tale about a... uh, I think he's a climate scientist? I think he's a climate scientist in the Arctic. Uh, And this is um, him attempting to stop the uh, like a, a global catastrophe um, by basically saving a bunch of astronauts. This is a bunch of astronauts that he has to save in order to prevent the apocalypse, evidently. So this is going to be the big hitter for Netflix for Christmas. Okay. Um, on, on this is going to be out on the on, you know on the twenty third, on the twenty fifth we have Soul as well, which is Disney's uh, big swing for Christmas. So we're going to see oh. that in the US as well, of course. In the US as well, they've got uh, Wonder Woman eighty four on streaming the same day, 
and promising young woman as well. So it's if you're an American, it's a huge day on Christmas Day for movies this year. If you're British, we get this a couple of days before and then Soul on Christmas Day. So interesting pet, and those will be our reviews next week. Yeah. Um, I hear good things. I do, but I, uh, I, one I, that I know. I hear that. Sorry, just to just to slightly interject there. I also, for anyone that's unsure as to what we've just been talking about, is George Clooney with a big beard. That's all you need to know. <laughs> that's it, because you referred to it. Is this the what? Is this the George Clooney beardy one? Yes. That, yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, that yeah. That's, that's verbatim right. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, on one that we we know very well, otherwise, mm. is uh, on Christmas Day. It's one of two movies uh, coming out on Amazon Prime on Christmas Day. They're smashing and it, Amazon Prime. They really are this Christmas, and this is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. How great is Three Billboards, and how often do you want to revisit it? Oh my gosh, I think this is something that I'm happily revisit every few months. It's um, it's such a great movie. Fantastic performance from Frances McDormand incredible bit of writing from Martin McDonough. Um, you know, if you're a fan of In Bruges and also Seven Psychopaths and stuff, you know, this is different. I feel this is very different to that. But um, it is something that I think will absolutely grip you. Woody Harrelson in this as well is fantastic, as is Sam Rockwell. Look, guys, if you haven't seen this, this is your time. Catch it. It won Oscars for a reason. It's amazing. Hey there, Mildred. You didn't happen to pay a visit to the dentist today, did you? No. Huh? I said no. Oh, so it wasn't you who drilled a little hole in one of Big Fat Jeffrey's big fat thumbnails, no? Of course not. Huh? I said, of course not. You drilled a hole in the dentist? Denise, no, I didn't. I thought it was kind of funny myself, but he wants to press charges, so we're going to have to bring you in, I'm afraid. I really do love uh, Woody Harrelson in that movie, but I'm a huge, huge fan of Frances McDormand. God damn, did she deserve that Oscar. So um, you can see for yourself on Amazon Prime on Christmas Day with three billboards, the same streaming platform upon which you will also be able to find The Devil Wears Prada from that day. Are you a fan of Devil Wears Prada, Max? I don't think it's come up before. I I am, but not as much as John Krasinski is, because apparently he watched it 74 times. Um, like prior to marrying his wife Emily Blunt, who obviously stars in it, but um, yeah, he was just uh, he loves it. I, I have I have I have no uh, no intent on marrying Emily Blunt, but I'll I'll still watch her seventy four times in Devil Wears Prada. She's a lovely looking woman. She is a lovely looking woman. Um, this is a great movie. This is one again. It will. I, I can't even remember how long ago it actually came out, but it is it it's it's not dated. I want to say two thousand. Five, yeah. I think I think 2005 thereabouts. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's such a great film. Meryl Streep, Anne Hathaway, Emily Blunt. If you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue, this is a fictionalized version of just that. Well, I feel like Devil Wears Prada is the film that I think solidified. Like that was the moment when we were just going to take the idea that Meryl Streep is just the ultimate actress and basically crystallize it on the internet forever. Yeah. Like it's just like it happens at that exact point when I think it's just before like Facebook becomes a thing. Yeah. So it kind of crystallized that moment because obviously by the time Facebook comes around, this movie's starting to appear on DVD and things like that, and all the students are getting a hold of it and things like that. And it then crystallizes, yeah, you know, in, in Merrill we trust. Yeah, yeah. Cultural. And also anyone kind of going, she is basically Anna Wintour in this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she really is, isn't she? She really is. So that's The Devil Wears Prada on Christmas Day. So uh, break in your new tablets, your new TVs, your new smartwatches, whatever devices you happen to have unwrapped that morning uh, and break them in with uh, a bit of Mel Streep on fine razor sharp form. And of course, the Tooch, Mr. Stanley Tooch. Oh, yes. Who can never, who can never ever be bested. 
No. So that is your bumper pack selection for the lead in to Christmas. We will be back on Christmas Eve with a very festive off screen for you. What? Are we not going to be festive? We'll, no, we'll be, no, we'll be recording on Christmas Eve. We'll be releasing on Christmas Day. So, you know, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> so you're actually going gonna to be able to listen to us on your shiny new devices as well. Exactly. There you go. What, what, a, what a Christmas present from us to you. So there we go. Yes. Yeah, Van and I will not be spending Christmas Day together, but we will be spending Christmas Eve together where we record this so we hope you guys enjoy our festive bumper pack of movies for you then again but for now i will leave you with everything that you can watch this week and i've been bex perfect i've been van connor and we shall return